This is the Cinema for All podcast. The celebration of going to the cinema with Jack Chell and Abby Standish. Welcome back to the Cinema for All podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Abby. And we are so excited to share with you our fifth episode of season two, the last of 2019. Oh my gosh, got uh, some end of year lists coming up. Get some jingle bells. <laughs> our podcast is a celebration of going to the cinema because we absolutely love going to cinema and we think they're extremely special places. So this season we've been looking at behind the scenes at cinemas and what makes a film. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing today. First though, do you want to set up your own cinema space? Can you imagine? After listening, go to cinemaforall.org.uk and find out how to get your very own community cinema started. We will help you! Today, we've got a glorious bit of Christmas for you. So we've been thinking about Christmas films, in particular the film It's a Wonderful Life, and how for some cinemas, a film like that can basically pay the light bill for the next year. So we went to see Wendy at Hyde Park Picture House to ask her about that, and so, so much more. But first, what's going on in the world of film? Abby... You go to the cinema more than me. What have you been to see? Um, so I've seen a couple of uh, quite a varied amount of films. Portrait, a Portrait of a Lady in Fire. Uh-huh. Um, that is just incredible. And you'll see that in my top five in a moment, wow. which I'll probably talk a little bit more about it then. Mm-hmm. Um, Frozen 2, which I also loved. Mm. Really good. I was late to the Frozen game about I've been frozen and well, now are, I've thawed out. You are a grown up, so I'll forgive you. <laughs> Well, it's questionable if I am a grown-up, but um, loved Frozen 2, songs were brilliant, um, beautiful animation, and uh, just loved the lady that, um, I don't know anything about her, but the gal who wrote Frozen, I just think, you must be so happy. (laughs) You wrote Frozen, and now you can do whatever you want. So she did Frozen 2, and she she also did Zootropolis, which is another good good one from the Disney house amazing well I hope she gets called upon to direct loads and loads yeah. of Disney stuff we'll get more female directors being given that kind of license to do something cool and creative definitely because it's just spoken to so many people it's yeah. such a hit big question is the big banger of the film as big a banger as let it go I prefer the the songs in the new film. The, um, there's a really good kind of 80s kind of heart power ballad there is the kind of Everyone's going to probably talk about the one that's in the end credits and like the the big song, but there's another great song um, just before the end. I don't want to give it away because it's it's obviously the story. Um, yeah, I think it's good, and there's a really nice little joke to let it go being overplayed in the film, mm. which was quite a nice nod of them Jeez. to do. Um, I also saw Charlie's Angels, the 2019 reboot, directed by Elizabeth Banks, starring Kristen Stewart, and. To other new ladies. <laughs> Some other women. <laughs> uh, no, no, really good. Really good ladies. Um, she played Jasmine in The New Aladdin. Oh, yeah, She's yeah. a British actress. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm bad with names. And another lady, I think, was a model, which makes sense for you to graduate to Charlie's Angels mm. as your kind of movie yeah, debut. Yeah, like the OG Charlie's Angels yeah. were models and stuff. First, yeah, yeah. They? There's like little nods to that. Um, it's not great. I don't think anyone was expecting it to be good. <laughs> I think everyone was anticipating. No, they weren't. So I went with a bit of a journey with this film. I was really excited when it was announced. I was like, I love um, Chai's Angels with Drew Barrymore and Lucy Liu and Cameron Diaz. Love it. The second one's a bit questionable. But then, um, so I was very excited. I thought, great. Love that Elizabeth Banks is directing it. Then the reviews came out that it was terrible peter bradshaw said it's the biggest non-event of 2019 and i thought that's a piece of what i want sure it's not for him though is it no i, I don't think yeah, i don't think it, it for is no peter bradshaw no look look love peter but it's not it's not for peter no. but um i i kind of enjoyed it kristen shoots up in her best life being the kind of comedy relief in it uh very upbeat which you know she's well, always kind of surprising yeah she's usually quite kind of given very mopey. like mopey roles she she does to a t she's great um yeah, it was it was it was fine. I felt thirteen. I saw it at a multiplex. I, I had pizza after. Mm. Yeah, um, well, those sorts of experiences have their places too. I absolutely, mean, this is what we say all the time. It's not just about highbrow cinema. We love we love intelligent cinema. We love world cinema. We love cinema that really takes you on a, a educative journey. But sometimes you want to watch a bit of trash. Yeah. And eat some popcorn. That's exactly. Fine. That's precisely what I did. It's no about shame. all I could take. Yeah, absolutely no shame. And 
if I was, you know, if I was 10, 11, 12 and I saw that, I'd feel great about it because you get to see, like, you know, decent action. Um, yeah, I thought, yeah, it has its place. Marriage Story, I mm. saw that, which is a Netflix release, but it has a, has a small cinema release. Yes, it was out for about a week first, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's getting that awards. Oh, sorry. To get in that awards corridor, um, I think it's really good. Nice to see Noah Baumbach doing something mm. great. Um, Francis Howe was my last favourite one he did. I always forget that Greta didn't direct that, but you know she's yeah, all, she's too. all over that film. Um, it's Adam, her film. Yeah, <laughs> Adam Driver's fantastic in it. There's a bit that absolutely tore me to shreds. Um, I think it's a really good film. Mm. Um, and I also saw Let It Snow on Netflix, which is kind of like a. A, a, a young adult book adap- adaptation, but Joan Cusack is in it, which <gasps> I was pleased about. Debbie from Adam's Family Values. Yes, um, and she's great in it, and it it's a nice little movie, nothing to shout home about. Sure. But that's it. What about you? What have you been seeing? Um, I caught up on a couple of things. Um, I caught up on this is very me film called Good Boys. Uh huh. Maybe like my blockers of this season. <laughs> uh, it's very cute film but also very kind of vulgar and sweary so it's about these three 12 year old boys and they um they kind of get their dad's drone into a bit of a sticky situation and yeah as i say it's produced by seth rogan so it's like quite sweary and i was worried that the joke was just going to be hey look at these 12 year olds say the f word a lot Mm. um but it's not it's much more than that and one of my favorite things about it it's kind of corny but all these boys are like super respectful of the girls that are in their lives the girls they have crushes on and the women in their lives they've been they've been taught consent lessons at school so they like really really care about that and it, it just comes through so respectfully in the film that it just made me really happy that a film can be really vulgar and sweary and gross out but still really respectful and um a signifier of the times so enjoyed that way more than i thought i was going to so yeah everybody go and see good boys it's this year's jack's blockers recommendation great yeah and i also saw marriage story on netflix which i absolutely loved and cut me into pieces and i'm obsessed with adam driver as many people are before we get into the segment, seeing as it's the end of the year, um, we may be basic enough to want to talk to you about our top fives. I know there's a lot of controversy that people don't think that you can reduce uh, film to a list of top fives. And yeah, that's valid. But also we are a group of people who like to talk about our favourites and we like to have that kind of discussion with each other. It's perfectly fine framework. So sorry for being really basic, but let's go. Abby, what are your top five of 2019? Okay, well... My first number one, mm. A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, right. This, a recent one. Yeah. In quite a, number one. A late contender, but recent, yeah. Mm. Uh, I love a top five because it makes you reflect on not only film, but like where you were, who you saw it with, what the cinema experience was like. So I really, really like that. Um, a Portrait of a Lady on Fire has impressed me to no end. Mm. Um, I thought it was visually incredible. I really like Celine Shammer as a director. There's something really interesting as I always love her work. I'm always waiting to see what she's going to do next. Mm. But I don't know loads and loads about her, which I normally deep dive into the person that I'm obsessed with. Um, And I just think she's one of the most interesting directors going at the moment. She's gone from kind of indie films in France. Then she did Life Life of a Courgette, which is that um, sweet lovely animated film that dealt with big issues I completely missed that that was part of her film yeah and then and then then she comes out with the portrait of a lady in fire which is like a period drama um and a love story and it says loads about love women art the time period Mm. queer coding i just think it's a really really standout film um i don't know it just it just had just swept me away completely it's kind of like a, sl- a slow burn what a treat and i feel like that that's often the most rewarding so yeah absolutely adored that film pain and glory mm. love my guy pedro Almodovar. love him um i feel like i've got a special relationship with him because it's kind of when i got really got into films i know that's kind of cliche but um i love his passion and he's never afraid of emotion in his mm. films but he's also extremely artistic at the same time and I thought that the performance um, from Banderas was just just really fantastic. Mm. And it just makes you fall in love with film, with how his films look. 
Don't Be a Dick About It, which was a documentary I saw at Dogfest yeah. about two brothers and their summer. And uh, one of the brothers has autism and one of the brothers has a fear of dogs. And it's just kind of like them going through their summer, coping with their kind of teenhood and the the, the younger brother kind of graduating onto his own life uh, outside of that. Um, but just a really clever fun very funny laugh out loud documentary and it was a very pleasurable experience to watch with an audience uh hustlers comes in at number four mm. um a little surprise of a film that was I remember just seeing the trailer kind of out of nowhere and i was like huh, yeah gonna go see that that'll be like a nice friday night film but it, it's a it's a bit of a magic mic not just because it's yeah. about strippers but also because it's got this really well crafted film you know surrounding the story um it's um putting great female stars at the forefront reminding us how incredible j-lo is as just a figure of culture Mm. um and yeah just really really enjoyed the film there's some really surprising funny moments in it and that's kind of what won me over um is is it's it's it wasn't afraid to to be funny and parasite at number five um Mm. very great korean horror genre film that's also kind of comedic it kind of um reminds me a little bit of get out and just all these other great genre films that but that do something a little bit different with what what they're working with but give you what you love about that genre um and i think a lot of people are going to really enjoy that amazing what was your film discovery as well we've been talking about films that are not new films but are new to us uh, my favourite film discovery, um, I was going to say Step Up because <laughs> I did know about Step Up, but I hadn't seen it. Watched it on my 29th birthday. Very enjoyable. Wow. Uh, but no, it's Sweet Bean. Um, I kind of came a bit late to this film. I know it kind of captured community cinema audiences straight away. And now I just want to watch everything Naomi Kumasawa has done. Um, it's just a very beautiful, hopeful, sad, gorgeous film. Lovely. <laughs> oh, what a gorgeous a gorgeous top five and discovery choice. I think we've seen completely different films this year and my choices are completely different. Well, this is what yours. I love about top fives. Yeah. See, it is interesting. Right, I'm getting in. My seatbelt's on. Take me on the drive. Okay. Um, big thing to bear in mind here is that me and Abby have not seen all of the films that were released. No, <laughs> so many I've yeah. missed, which, you know, producer Jay is going to luckily give his his top five and he's yeah. kind of scooped up he some of the ones. He probably has seen all the films yeah, that were released definitely. last year. So my top five in at number one um, is The Farewell. Um, as you know, I've talked about it on the podcast, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I absolutely loved this film and the feeling that it left me with um, was quite significant. And I think that's probably the the thread that that laces all of these films together it's that i've thought about them and felt them for a long time afterwards and that seems to have been sort of the theme for me this year uh number two uh, even though it was kind of um in a lot of awards categories at the very start of the year it was actually part of this year's releases so the favorite great um really important film for me that i absolutely love to shreds um, again, we talked about it a lot in the podcast, so I won't touch on it too much. Uh, number three, Us, Jordan Peele's second film. Now, I really love this because I am a big horror fan. I'm a big genre fan. And I think Lupita Nyong'o's um, performance is just absolutely incredible. And it's it's quite upsetting to me that she's been left out of the Golden Globes nominations, but also the Golden Globes nomina- nominations are trash. <laughs> they're just really bad okay. and I, I think that they don't have very much taste and they're certainly not thinking very much about um, women and people of colour and queer stories it, ugh, everybody just looks the same in those categories so Golden Globes I'm done with you um, then in at number four is Seahorse um, which is a beautiful film by Jeannie Finley who came and talked at our conference this year and she showed the film and it's just a really special film and very important that we show stories of trans people their fight for their rights it's really really important i think it's very important to me that that film was shown on terrestrial tv as well um and that people got to see freddie's story and freddie's journey as a human and as Jeannie said when we saw her talk recently not just tabloid fodder not just a headline um so really special to me that that film's been seen by lots and lots of people and then finally surprise to even me last black man in san francisco again it's a film that i just wasn't sure about the time and i can't stop thinking about and i keep coming back to it i keep coming back to the scenery and the imagery and again the feeling that i was left with 
That's amazing. I think you're right about it's about the feeling you're left with. It doesn't have to always kind of please you. Mm. If it just sticks in your mind and gets you thinking about it, I think that definitely makes the film quite special. Yeah. Great top five. And what about your discovery? Again, I've gone on about this on the podcast because I was completely obsessed with it after I saw it. It's the D.A. Pennebaker documentary company um, original caster album. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's just fantastic. It's just a little hour documentary of um, a group of Broadway musicians recording the soundtrack to Company by Stephen Sondheim in one evening. And they're getting more tired. They're getting more frustrated. They're getting more drunk because it's the 70s. And it's just stunning. And the music is stunning. And, you know, it's also an incredible album. I would just, I think it's a little bit hard to get a hold of the documentary. So just go on Spotify and listen to the album and immerse yourself in some, like, really bonkers Sondheim rhythms and wordplay and the lyrics it's just your mouth can't keep up with that kind of stuff so especially if you love singing go and check that out excellent variety good choices yeah producer Jay we're going to hand the mic over to you because you're not geared up for the mic (laughs) Jay is a great kind of cinema release hoover and he will go and collect Come on, oh, Henry. Those beautiful <laughs> Henry crumbs Hoover. that I've dropped. So I'm going to pass oh. the mic to producer Jay. Right, thanks, Abby. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so my, my list, um, I'll start. I'll do it in reverse order, oh. starting at number five. Should but I mean, okay, I f- feel like I should make a little mention. Although you said I'm a release Hoover, Hoover. yeah. I feel like it's it's quite a specific type of release. It's as our colleague Rogie's, Rosie said earlier, uh, all the like pretentious arty ones, which I've, I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case. What a snap! Yeah. What a snap! <laughs> um, anyway, number five, um, one that I saw with Rosie actually, Monos, um, which was um, very intense. Probably the most intense film that I've seen this year. Um, it's about all these child soldiers, basically, in the near future. It's not explicitly said the near future, but sort of implied um, in South America. Um, and it's a bit Lord of the Flies. It's a bit Embrace of the Serpent, the sort of going mad in the jungle. Um, yeah, j- just incredible. Um, all the all the young people are amazing in it. There's, um, for any fans of the Disney Channel uh, TV series Hannah Montana, there's someone who used to be in that, isn't Miley? it? No, not Miley. Um, this guy, I've forgotten his name. but um, Cool story, bro. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And Mika Levy does the soundtrack, um, who's awesome. great. She did the soundtrack for Under the Skin mm. and Jackie. Mika too. Mika Chu. Mika in the Shapes, I think mm. she's sometimes known as. Number four, The Chambermaid. Um, so that's the debut film from a Mexican director whose name I've forgotten, but I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, and it's about someone who works as a maid in a hotel. Uh, it's very slow and it's just her going about um, her life as a maid, but it's very sad. Um, yeah, great. Um, number three is one that was on Abby's list, Pain and Glory. Um, I won't speak for too long about this, but I've watched a lot of Almodovar this year, getting really into his 80s wacky screwball comedies. Mm. Um, and then obviously sort of 90s and early 2000s, gets a little bit more serious with like All About My Mother and Bad Education. And then for the past 10 years or so, he's done sort of, slightly, I don't know, a bit more glossy arty dramas um but i really feel like this is a late period masterpiece for him it's not written down number two is so long my son which um saw very recently and it's a three-hour uh chinese drama about two families and it basically follows them over 30 years and um amongst other things how the one child policy affects them both in very different ways um the, the two leads are both phenomenal. I think they both won Best Actor and Best Actress at the Berlin Film Festival this year. Um, yeah, just just tremendous. And I think it's it's got a little release over the next um, month or so, so seek it out if you can. It's worth, worth the three-hour runtime. Um, and my number one um, is Happy as Lazaro, mm. which I've been talking about all year. Um, it's an Italian sort of magical 
fable um, about some farmers in rural Italy. Um, I don't want to say too much because something happens about halfway through the film and it all changes and turns upside down. To be honest, don't watch the trailer because I saw that recently, actually, and completely gives away sort of the the big turning point in the film. Um, but yeah, she's she's great, the director. She's got a film on movie at the moment. And what was your discovery? So my discovery, probably the most pretentious choice, um, was, it's a little bit of a cheat, it's three films, but um, often seen as one, I think. It's the Human Condition Trilogy, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is a 50s Japanese um epic basically it's three three hour films um and i watched them with a friend in about a week um and it's very grueling um follows this guy who gets dragged into world war ii and his position changes throughout the three films um so he's a businessman at the start and by the end he's in a prisoner of war camp um, and he's always trying to sort of change things for the better and he really cares about people, but he just keeps getting blocked by the powers that be. Um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, it's available on a very nice Blu-ray box set. Ah, nice. What a treat from producer Jay. Just a little Christmas gift from us to you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into our segment. Cinemas can often be like wonderful snow globes that we go into, we're safe, and we get to just enjoy an experience in this one contained little thing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, Hyde Park Picture House, they actually have a beautiful snow globe that they got made for Wendy with Hyde Park inside. And it's so spectacular because what a beautiful, beautiful building. And it's so important that we preserve the heritage of buildings like that. It's our history. Absolutely. It's part of our cinema going history and our history as, as cities and towns in the UK. Definitely. So we hope that you enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed going to visit. We did. All right, let's get into it. So... Abby and I often talk about the films that keep the lights on, by which we mean the sorts of films that a cinema can put on and know it'll get the bumps on seats, everybody will come along and it might pay the bills for the foreseeable future. And that's a really important part of programming that I think regular audience members might not see. That sometimes you want to take people on a journey and show them new films, but sometimes you got to get those bums on seats. And the biggest example of that in the UK is It's a Wonderful Life definitely in the last few years it's a phenomenon so we wanted to talk to somebody who puts that film on at Christmas and about the impact that it has on their building but also much more so we went to Hyde Park Picture House to chat to Wendy so before we start just a bit of history about the amazing Hyde Park Picture House up in Leeds so it actually opened in 1914 which as you'll know will be World War One so it's a key key place for wartime communication and also escapism really somewhere people could congregate share the news but also just get a bit of levity in their life in the 1930s they introduced sound and they've managed to really weather the changes over the year years in a way a lot of other picture houses of that era unfortunately were unable to so the introduction of introduction of tv all of those 80s multiplexes that moved to the outskirts of town uh, streaming more recently in the 80s the friends of Hyde Park picture house formed and that's still going and they have been absolutely crucial in lobbying to the public and lobbying to the council to make sure that that incredible space stays open in the 90s it was bought by the Leeds council and one manager in the past actually remortgaged his house to keep the place going. It's actually incredible to think about the sacrifices people make to keep these spaces alive for us. Next year is a really, really special year for Hyde Park Picture House as they are preparing for some huge building works that will see a second screen open up in the basement, as well as a lot of works that will help to preserve it and help make it more accessible for people. So in 2020, they will be on tour using different venues across Leeds. What an amazing opportunity for them. Christmas oh. yeah. So you, have you guys been to Hyde Park before? No, I've never, never been. Oh! I've I'm seen it from the outside it. before. Yeah, me but too. But never I'm the inside. Park near here. <laughs> <Have> you... <laughs> Good story. <laughs> There's, is it just? It's just down here the road it is. from. Oh. oh, it is. Oh my god. Wow, it's, it's like so it's beautiful. Oh, so there's this really beautiful little ticket booth, like an old-fashioned ticket booth. That's just stunning. 
just, just straight out onto the street as well. Yeah. Like, you can buy a ticket without going in the doors, which, which feels old. You can imagine people queuing around the block. It feels like yeah. a real neighbourhood cinema, how things used to be. Definitely, it, they still it's do. It's on the corner. It feels like all the roads sort of meet here. It's oh. weird because like, you've just got houses, Sainsbury's, and you walk around the corner and wham. Yeah. Absolute chef's kiss of a cinema is just a chef's there. kiss of a cinema. <laughs> it is. I love it. I honestly the, feel like I can just feel the past all around me. I can see I can see all the images coming together. Yeah. I can see what it used to be like here. I can't get over this ticket booth. Isn't it so good? Oh my god, they've like they've board yeah. where they put the names of films up. I think for cinema nerds like us, all these old details, like the, the lettering that tell you the film times, these are just absolute perfection. This is the kind of stuff that you live for. So we've just come in and the interior is just stunning. One of the first things you notice when you come in is a lovely small kiosk selling your favourites like popcorn, hot drinks and pop, but also some homemade treats from some local bakeries. The kiosk is very small and it's what you're greeted with when you come in by some friendly people. I already have a hot steam in tea in hand. Um, there is a classic popcorn machine, um, cookies, freshly baked cookies, ice creams local in a little fridge. Cream. Local ice cream, local yeah. <laughs> local baked goods, um, a cute little kind of shop with um, like a cute tote bag, a little till, some shelves with some beers and teas. Just It's just... It's almost Beautiful. like a tuck shop, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, proper little tuck shop. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, and you can buy postcards and polos. <laughs> postcards that have... I've got this one. Got the Hyde Park picture hats uh -huh. on them. But so good. Amazing. It's an institution, for sure. So are you, are you a bit of a regular, would you say? Uh, yeah, less so now, but um, just because I've, I've moved. But yeah, de definitely always check to make a to see what's on and make a trip here. I saw It's Wonderful Life here with my mum for a couple of years running um, and it's, it is just the actual best. I mean, you'll see in a bit when we get to go into the cinema. Hey! Hi! Wendy arrives walking down a beautiful staircase, just like a scene out of a movie. In her hand, she's holding a gorgeous snow globe that somebody commissioned as a gift to her. Inside is Hyde Park's picture house, nestled in the snow. Look, there's the snow globe, it's here! Look at it, clutching in hand! Oh, so pretty. It do look slightly decrepit. Um, that's something we're working on. Okay, yeah. well, why is that? I like it. It's got like snowy. I mean, it's just a tiny bit of rot on the lamppost. Oh, we love a bit of rot. Isn't it? <laughs> symbolic. Um, yes, I think it was made by someone who. It was made by an artist who'd never made a snowbird before. Oh, um, wow. It's been bloody good to say they never made so, one before. Yeah, it was incredible. Look um, at it. Look at the HPPH. Yeah. Oh. 1914, that's how long this bad boy's been going. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, we had a birthday uh, a few weeks ago and we did absolutely nothing. Oh, <laughs> classic. Good. That's what they say when you get older though, isn't yeah. it? You just, yeah. just can't do more. You know, I'll yeah. blend in. 105. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is there left to celebrate? <laughs> Except Although High Pop Picture House has obviously changed a lot over the last 105 years, they've still managed to retain so much of its beautiful past. I'm immediately struck by this fire hose which is obviously to do with um, the old projection booths um, and nitrate being something that used to be so flammable. You used to have to make sure that you had all your safety measures in place. And it's amazing to just see this preserved for now. Um, I think in a lot of old cinemas that we've visited recently, you wouldn't see that fire hose intact. That's really something special. The fire hose and the fire, that's uh, its original fire hose. It is, again, I would stress for safety reasons, no longer an essential part of our fire... <laughs> procedures. It's a beautiful artefact though isn't it? It is a beautiful artefact yeah. and I am assured it would work if we did need it wow. but you will notice we have a contemporary fire extinguisher yeah. <laughs> right next immediately to it. To it. Um, <laughs> basically that fire hose kind of brings water up directly from like the mains wow. so if you were to use it there would be so much kind of power that would kick out and yeah. um, one of my predecessors was, was Rhymer who was like here in the 90s and was like fundamental to like one of the key people who kept the cinema alive mm. um she was sort of told by the fire service she had to take it out if it didn't work and she was like it does work she made a fireman try it and he was knocked on his ass <laughs> so. amazing figuratively and literally believe so yes there's so many lovely kind of bits to the building um 
we're not going to a terrarium yet. I'm going to point out the stairs because it's one of my favourite things. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend if you've not been before, before we finish, just walk down them at some point because you just feel a little bit cinematic. You do. Um, a bit of a scarlet of horror moment. Yeah. I'll take that. Next <laughs> room. Oh. Um, we're also showing some um, contractors. Oh my god. Um, we walked into the auditorium, which was delicious. It's everything you expect from an old cinema, red carpets, plush seats, and some gas lamp lighting. But what stood out is this strange, unusual-looking Art Deco clock, which has a lot of history at the cinema and lights up, shining the way to the front. So you'll see at the sides um, our original gas lighting. Um, we're yes. the only cinema... We, we're definitely any cinema in the UK that has them and uses them every single day. Do you? Uh, we claim we're the only one in the world and no one has disproved us. <laughs> um, and oh, until somebody comes along, keep, keep saying it. Exactly. I think that's how it works yeah. in cinemas. Like, yeah. just, like, sometimes you just assert it. it. Yeah. yeah. Get ready to backtrack at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and Anticipate an angry email from somebody yeah. in Australia. But, yeah, it's gold until then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> It's beautiful. It definitely adds to, 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 the, to the atmosphere massively. I think what strikes me at the minute is just how beautifully well kept it is. Like you go in a lot of cinemas that are fairly new build mm. and they, the seats are quite tatty and the carpet's tatty and it needs painting and it's quite, it's, you know, it's turned into a bit of a flea pit over a short period of time. Mm. And here is this beautiful building that's been here for such a long time and the seats are pristine, mm. your carpet's really clean, just it feels so fresh and lovely and it, there's so much love and care into this place that it it feels just as it would have been then it's, it's such an honor to hear you say that because i think there is there's such a lot of love that's gone in just over the over the hundred and whatever years that it's been going there's so many kind of people who've labored over it ranging from you know just the hoovering and seat cleaning <laughs> um through to sort of trying to make the projection work and trying to kind of keep things like that up to standard and trying to make it sort of fit for purpose and meet the expectations of modern modern audiences but also modern filmmakers because like we're trying to sort of keep both those two groups really mm. happy and keep working to support them both um and we've put so much time in and i think it's 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 funny being at this kind of like critical point for us where we are like trying to work out right how do we how do we now sustain this for like another hundred years um and how do we make it a bit easier to look after the building and at the moment um as we are working on this refurbishment part of what we've been doing is just really understanding the building as it is and how it was made back in 1914 and the incredible heritage stuff like the the Bermontoff's tile facade at the front that beautiful sort of white um sort of so distinctive tile that you see in a lot of cinemas of that era um that's Bermontoff's who were a local manufacturer um and you can sort of see a lot of their work in different buildings in the city so they're real sort of fundamental not just to to buildings of this era but buildings of Leeds and now there's like one company who looks after them and will kind of recreate new ones um, and you really appreciate the, like the craftsmanship and another thing we've been doing is underneath the, the foyer um, floor like where it's all carpeted at the moment underneath the carpet there's 1960s carpet tiles underneath the 1960s carpet tiles <laughs> there is the original 1914 um, terrazzo floor terrazzo floor um, <laughs> That's these kind of things that have been like hidden over the years and um and I, I love the building because it is this weird combination of the original features and then the the additional kind of layers that have been added over the years like the we've got this 1930s surround sort of behind us because we're obviously in the auditorium now and so that was added in the 1930s when sound came in and they needed to accommodate speakers um before that we would have projected directly onto the back wall mm. And then the the clock though, um, which is so fundamental to the building, mm. that wasn't brought in until the nineteen I don't think exact the year, it's the nineteen fifties or sixties. Yeah. And before that it was in the Gaumont in Leeds City Centre. Wow. Which became the Town and Country Club and then is now the O2 Academy. <laughs> so when they closed that kind of was moved here and there's lots of bits of the building that have this um they're not original to us, but they have this long history and, and some of that history is um, tied to other cinemas you know our seats they were in the lounge in Headingley our projectors 
were in the lounge in Headingley and before that they were in the Odeon in Grimsby. Um, at the back of the other home, you see this crazy kind of like Art Deco um, dis- like panel. That was actually a prop from um, First of the Summer Wine. If you look up close, it's, be- <laughs> it's pen, um, no like pen and vinyl. No way. But um, it's these odd little layers of different histories that all kind of come together to make what feels like this truth for us today. Uh, that clock, I love it, and I love how mm. I've always admired it. And it's weird how it's something that I don't really talk about or think about when I think yeah. of the place all the time. But then it kind of is at the back of your mind. And I noticed on a lot of your artwork that you've kind of yeah. got commissioned for some of your, like your lovely postcards mm. and stuff a feature. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh yeah, that, that immediately transpired. I know that yeah. that is Hyde Park Cinema because of that. And it's mm. rare that a cinema is known for its interior. It's yeah. as recognisable as its mm. exterior, which I think's pretty special. I think it's it's lovely and it's it's interesting that with the clock that used to always stay lit right through the films and about seven years ago or something maybe less maybe five we decided to dim it with the house lights during the film um because some people really complained about this kind of bright light next to the other screen when you had it on and there was such a sort of 50 50 split of people who were like this is brilliant and this is the worst thing in the world why have you done this um and still to this day people kind of you know kind of comment on oh i miss i miss seeing the clock during the film oh, oh i love yeah i like that it's you know darker yeah and it makes you sort of realise how much these odd little details mean to someone. Once we'd calmed ourselves down about how amazing and beautiful Hyde Park Picture House is, we finally got down to business and started talking to Wendy about It's a Wonderful Life, particularly her relationship to it. James Stewart is, I'm going to say right now, my favourite actor. Um, I know he supported Nixon. I know he was a hypochondriac. <laughs> we love him. You do not have to yeah. defend James Stewart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know the problems, but I love him, um, and, uh, and and grew up kind of with his films, and um, it was sort of through you know watching classic films on a, an afternoon with my nana and granddad next door um, that I sort of fell in love with film, I think properly, and um, and and some of that was James Stewart's films and things like Harvey is one of my favourite, you know Winchester seventy three, and these I mean this great range through to kind of like the warm and fuzzy, and um, there's like considering how many films I've watched there's about four that I can quote and one of them is Harvey <laughs> um, and It's a Wonderful Life for some reason was one that I did see you know at home on TV um, but didn't quite didn't quite click with me in the same way that some of his other things did I mean in particular Harvey's one I'll keep going back to because I think it it was one where when I, I first saw it and I keep going back to it I was like, this isn't just a film this is something I would like to live my life by um, this helps me <laughs> Um, find a route um, and It's Wonderful Life just didn't quite chime in that way um, and then when I started working here um, it was one that um, my predecessor had booked in sort of over Christmas um, and this is going back I guess uh, like yeah about 15, 16 years um, and it was at that point that we I think started to play it annually and it became a bit of a fixture and it was at that point that I remember thinking, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it another shot because, as I say, I would just, at that point, you know, I was just bumbling around as a student, I would watch kind of every single thing we played. Um, and I remember sort of sitting down and watching it with an audience and it may be, I think at that point it was slightly before the time when it was this big, big deal for independents like us to play it every year. Um, and it maybe wasn't quite talked about in the same way, or certainly from my perspective, it didn't feel like the same kind of thing. It's also like pre-Twitter and pre-social <laughs> media, <laughs> which makes me feel really old. Um, but maybe I wasn't conscious of it in the same way. Um, and I then sort of watched it and started to watch it successively each kind of year. And it wasn't an immediate thing. I didn't you know, rewatch it for the first time in a cinema and think, right, I was wrong. This is the film for me. It was one that I just started to go back to every 12 months with people uh, and, and with kind of like this this growing understanding in myself of, you know, what the world was and, and what our kind of times were, certainly politically. And it started to um, resonate with me more with each viewing and um, some of the, co- the core messages within it. Um, about kindness, about um, investment, um, 
within sort of communities, investment within sort of community members. Um, and it started to feel really uh, like radical to me. Um, and I think I started to appreciate some of the drama in it more. And, and one of the things I really love about James Stewart is that he, you know, within his career kind of dipped between really light and fluffy and warm um, and then really dark. And there are points in It's Wonderful Life where it's so bleak and so hard and it makes me cry every single time now because he's showing a man at his his worst moment and it you know I don't want to give spoilers but it redeems and that's an incredible thing to do um and I know that there are problems with the film I think you know the representation of um of, of the African-American characters is is terrible and there were it's of its time we can talk about that but the elements of it which are contemporary and radical and uh, humanist are so important and now it's like we show it every year and it's you know sellouts time and again um and you see people kind of laugh together and gasp together and you know cry together and um and that's incredible to me and is cinema at its best in my mind do you think you get the same people coming every time yes. like it's their tradition their christmas tradition yeah yeah and and it's lovely having a combination of that and people seeing it for the first time because people also kind of come and say, I've never been before. I've never been to the cinema before. I've never seen it before. And I have to sort of hold back because I want to tell them, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But I also want to give them room to not love it because it didn't, you know, I know that it's not for everyone and no film is for everyone. And I, I don't think there's anything, you know, wrong with not loving It's a Wonderful Life. I'm trying to get that balance of like I want to be enthusiastic but I want to give you room to decide what you think of it um but it's it, it's lovely and it's yeah now there are loads of Christmas films that independent cinemas can choose to screen from but over the past six to seven years It's a Wonderful Life has become the Christmas films that indies always show Wendy had some ideas about why the film has gotten this status I do think there are elements with it that feel more necessary and important in the current climate um and it is around compassion and kindness and i do think there is like a radical political in there about sort of this community investment in community infrastructure and the people within a community which is all what the you know the bailey savings and loan is all about um and then certainly like in in the community of hyde park we see these incredible sort of social enterprises, places like um, Seagulls down the road, which um, is this wonderful um, like paint shop <laughs> where they collect um, they collect paint, um, and then you can go and you can get it mixed and you can buy it, and it's all about like reusing paint and um, trying to be so. Uh, environmentally conscious and reduce waste but then also the kind of people that staff it it's a lot of people who would maybe be excluded from the workforce um there was an incredible shot we played at the weekend about it um as part of the Leeds Film Festival um Yorkshire Film Award that was all about kind of some of the people who are working there who um one guy's kind of come out of prison and one guy um has uh, issues with sort of mental health and this paint shop um is uh is everything to them and is kind of keeping them engaged with society um and i see a direct link between it's wonderful life and that (laughs) and it makes sense to me and i think at the moment in a time when everything's so such wonderful potential for the kind of global connectedness that's happening and things like social media and and, and big businesses lots of potential positives um but it needs to be balanced against local and community um and it's wonderful life i think is a reminder of that and that's something that we've always needed um it's just something that's easy to forget i think as well as being an amazing community film and a traditional Christmas film, It's a Wonderful Life also provides really important economic security, which is really super important for independent cinemas, and it helps put the funds forward to screen riskier films. To play, um, to play kind of classic, uh, to be a, a really good and valuable independent cinema these days, you want to be able to support kind of both new and old films that won't always generate audiences, um, especially sort of around classics. It's a real, um, it's really important that we do work to try and like dig out films that people maybe haven't heard of previously, have been under celebrated, 
under-recognised, whether that be because of you know, a number of factors, including perhaps it was, you know, female filmmakers or um, filmmakers of colour or whatever. Um, and to be able to kind of balance that against genuine kind of guaranteed audience pleasers like It's a Wonderful Life and to know sort of within our business model that we can use something like It's a Wonderful Life to subsidise something else that is going to be a risk. Mm. Um, that oh, That becomes an incredible cycle to be able to sort of work with and to, to kind of bank on um, so for us something like It's a Wonderful Life is in there but then around that Christmas season we've been able to put on some some newer and older films that feel more risky so um, we've got over Christmas week So Long My Son which is one of my you know I think one of the films of this year that's really sort of impacted on me but it's a three hour long very sort of um, slow and at times challenging Chinese film about sort of uh, changing political kind of climates and uh, one-child policy and um, redemption and forgiveness and um, all these things. And that's maybe going to be a difficult one to persuade people to come out for over Christmas. <laughs> um, or maybe it won't be. I don't know, I could be wrong. Um, but knowing that we've got It's a Wonderful Life there means I feel a little bit more comfortable sort of saying, right, Christmas week we will also do this and we will also sort of try and get people to see this. And, and that's a great balance. What are some other sorts of films that, we call them films that keep the lights on, so yeah. films that get you bums on seats and get you through the year. What other kind of films work here in that way? I'm pretty sure we could play any John Carpenter ever. <laughs> it will always be popular. Um, so that's always good. Like, They Live, I think people would be happy for us to play it on a regular repeat. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show is the one that we'll try and play every year. Um, it will always be popular. Um, and I think interestingly, you know, with, with these films, something like Rocky Horror, it's always popular. It's always kind of quite meaningful as well. And it's really amazing with that kind of seeing, it's always packed out. And you always get this really interesting audience of, um, of people who've been seeing it for decades. Uh, and then people are kind of coming and seeing it for the first time. And it, like It's Wonderful Life, you get this really interesting mixture of people who have different relationships with the film. But yeah, you can play that any day of the week. Um, what else? Um, films by certain filmmakers. Um, Pedro Almodovar, um, for us, is like, yeah, brilliant. Ken Loach. Um, some of those sort of touchstones where I think within within sort of the independent cinema sector, there's the real institutions um, and also sort of really like the, the work keeps evolving and they keep sort of having, the work they're doing is still of so much value. Um, yeah, Pedro Modavar I think is incredible. Um, and whether it's his new film or kind of putting on some of his older work, um, it's something I never worry about. Um, and that's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't necessarily, there's not an incredible um, spectrum of um, foreign language filmmakers who are still working today. You can still, I think, say that of. Um, which is quite a, a big deal, especially sort of in this time when getting audiences into foreign language film is increasingly challenging. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, Amelie. Um, in the Mood for Love. Um, oh, yeah, these are all kind of like these wonderful films that uh, which some of them are slightly newer, though it's wonderful. Uh, Emily and and Mood for Love are I guess like twenty years old now, maybe. Yeah, I don't think that, that not. Um, Emily's maybe seventeen, eighteen years. Yeah. Um, and then uh, your true classics: Brief Encounter, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Casablanca. Um, for New Year's Eve, we're doing a double bill of um, Singing in the Rain and The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Ah. People just still want to see Gene Kelly dance in the rain. Yeah. And that, yeah, I could play that any, any time of the year. However tempting it might be, Wendy can't really show these types of really popular bums on seats films all year round. She needs to save the space for the more risky films, the films that their audience might not know and the films that take them on a journey. Wendy explained a bit about how she builds trust with her audience. I think some of like where we're we're really fortunate that we're able to do that with this space because of the audience because rather than it being a case of a car audience you know only want to see every Hitchcock and that's what they'll come to time and again actually there's a real crossover between like our car audience who um, you know, will turn out for the classics are also the people who are turning out for some of the like 
actually the, the people I know who will come to Vertigo, I'm also pretty confident they're the people who are going to come to So Long My Son. Right. Um, and there are audience members who like, we've got this really one, wonderful woman who she's on Twitter as um, uh, Lady Lugosi. Um, and she'll come to everything kind of absolutely classic. But then also, you know, we'll come to everything that's kind of a bit gothic. And, you know, like she came to Hell Satan and I can, hun- and she loves that genre stuff. And I, I can 100% pick out what I'll see her at. Mm-hmm. And she's so kind with us because she comes to quite a lot of stuff where it's maybe not too busy and she'll always make the effort to tweet afterwards thank you for showing it and she just like yeah she's she's 100 percent entwined in this this really particular combination of classic and um sort of challenging and it's really lovely and she's kind of quite representative i'd say of of our audience who are kind of coming regularly but it's this mixture of things that they come to all the time and then there probably are some people who do just come to it's wonderful life i'm up it's christmas carol and they're great as well and I like that there's some people we'll see once a year and, and it's like, okay, I'll see you again in 12 months' time and yeah. I'll still be here and that'll be <laughs> nice. Another special tradition for Hyde Park Picture House is a New Year's Eve double bill screening. Wendy said that this is something that has meant a lot to her over her career. When I started to programme the double bills, I started to try and um, do something that could feel quite meaningful and um, could um, maybe be an opportunity for me as a programmer to speak to my audience um, and a couple of years ago I programmed a double bill of Chaplin films and um, we did City Lights and The Great Dictator um, and The uh, the Great Dictator is a film that really speaks to me and the end um, speech is one that I think is so important at the moment and we played it the year that Trump was, uh, yeah, you know, Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I wanted to be able to speak to my audience at that point. I wanted to be able to say this. This is the thing I want to say to you. I'm going to use Chaplin. Um, and we had about 150 people came. And um, that was a point where I could uh, say something that I wanted to say. And it was a real honour that people came and were willing to listen. And that was, I think, my recent great joy. Well, we could have just talked to Wendy for hours, couldn't we? Seriously, so I wanted to live in there. What a glorious afternoon. And Wendy's just somebody who so authentically connects with what it really means to show films to people, to audiences. It's just such an important part of her life. And I really feel that her audience must absorb that energy when they come into the Hyde Park Picture House. Absolutely. Love it to bits. Yeah, we had a great day. And then we got donuts. <laughs> yeah. If you like the Cinema For All podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. I know we ask this a lot, but it really does mean a lot for the podcast. It helps us find new listeners and also to hear about what you think. So also tweet us at Cinema For All Pod. So that's it for 2019, but we'll be back in January with some special episodes to carry on season two. But for now, it's time to roll credits. Producer, Jay Platt. Logo designed by Lydia Lipinski at Thoughts Make Things. Hosted by Jack Chell and Abby Standish. With thanks to Wendy Cook at the Hyde Park Picture House, Deborah Parker and Sheffield Live. The Cinema for All podcast is supported by the BFI, awarding funds from the National Lottery. Thank you. Teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, say, that's well, that sounds about right. Merry Christmas from the Cinema for All podcast.